Welcome to Affirming Our Lane, a podcast by the American Foundation for Firearm Injury Reduction in Medicine. Affirm is the nation's leading nonpartisan network of more than 40,000 healthcare professionals who are committed to reducing firearm injury through research, evidence-based practice, and community partnerships. All right, so how did you become involved in the issue of gun violence? I actually offered to speak about the perspective of a physician who actually owns firearms a couple of years ago at the Feminine Idea Exchange. And that was actually a really unusual perspective because especially for a conference that's in New York City, there are not a lot of physicians who and not a lot of women physicians who will stand up and say, hey, I own firearms, and let's talk about that. And how does that affect how I am able to relate to my patients? When I offered that lecture, Dara Cass actually had the foresight to pair me with Megan Ranney, who, of course, is an absolute force in this area. And we were able to create something that was actually really interesting. Because what they asked us to do was kind of a point counterpoint on the idea of gun control. But when Megan and I started talking, it was really very interesting because what we found out was we agree on almost all of the major points. And so rather than being a point counterpoint, what we found is it was this really interesting conversation to be able to try to bring the two sides that are usually presented as opponents in this discussion together and say, there is a lot of common ground here. And how can we as reasonable people have a conversation that moves this issue forward rather than just shouting at each other and not listening? And so Megan and I were able to give that lecture at FIX 2018. It was really interesting because literally the first time we met was that day. Uh, We'd spoken on the phone a bunch of times and we'd practiced over the internet, but she's in Boston, I'm in Oregon. We did a lot of work beforehand, but being able to do that for the first time, being in the same room with each other was really kind of amazing. So when you were introduced to Dr. Rainey, that's when you became involved in a firm or did you have, um, had you worked with a group before then? I had never worked with a group before then. It was uh, during the, the lead up to that Uh, talk that we started talking about a firm and I started to understand the work that they were doing. And why do you personally think that a firm is needed? One of the reasons that I think a firm is really important is because of the patients that I take care of. So here in rural Oregon, firearms are a way of life. I was raised with firearms. I went shooting with my dad the first time when I was about five years old. The first thing that I remember learning about guns is how to be safe around them. And that that mantra of how to be safe around weapons continued while I was in the Air Force with my firearms training, and I deployed twice. I was on a base with 30,000 people, every single one of them armed at all times for six months, and we never had a single accidental shooting. Oh, wow. There are ways to be safe with firearms, and understanding how to do that is a really important thing in my community. 
when I started talking with Megan and I started working on this lecture with her, I started to understand a lot more of the research that was behind how to keep people safe. Because for me, violence is not such a big issue um, as far as uh, homicide with firearms, but we have a very high rate of suicide and we also have a significant threat for accidental shootings because we have a lot of kids around guns. I have two sons and I have firearms in my homes. And so it's important to me to understand the research about how do accidental shootings happen? How do suicides happen? And how can we impact that in my community? So what do you think a firm can do to change the climate surrounding these um, incidents with guns in this country? One of the things that I really hope for that my voice is, again, a little bit uh, unique in a firm is being able to reach gun owners where they are and be able to talk to them. It's a much different conversation when I talk to a parent with guns and say, you know, at my house, here's the solutions that we've found. Here are the things that I've been able to do to keep my kids safe. Talk to me about how you keep your kids safe. That's a very different conversation than a physician saying, do you have guns in your home? Mm-hmm. That, for a gun owner, actually feels really, really threatening. And there's some really interesting research being done at Oregon State University um, Cascades, which is the local university around here, looking at the messaging and the words that we use when we talk to gun owners and how is that perceived, because there's a lot of high emotions around that. There are a lot of worries for gun owners that you're trying to take away their guns. And so when you approach that conversation, it has to be done carefully or you immediately get a wall and you don't get anywhere. Mm -hmm. And again, being able to say, this is what I've done with mine. This is how I keep my family safe. And these are the things that I think about allows that conversation on a one-on-one basis to go much better. And what I'm hopeful for, for my work with a firm, is to be able to carry that through and be able to give some resources to someone who's never handled a firearm to be able to speak with their patients rather than a position of judgment, but from a position of understanding of, hey, this might not be something that I've done, but... I understand why that's important to you, and let's talk about how we do it safely. That makes a lot of sense. You've already touched on this a little bit, but I was wondering if you could expand on why you think research is the answer to this problem. For a very specific example, I remember reading a study that looked at barriers to suicide when people are contemplating. And one of the first things that I learned about that was that when I was growing up, I always just thought, hey, if you're going to kill yourself, you're going to do it however you do it. If it's a gun, if it's pills, if it's, you know, driving your car into a bridge, you're going to do it. What they research indicates is people will often change their mind. And that decision for suicide is a very immediate decision. And anything that's a roadblock between that immediate decision and the actual act decreases the risk of suicide. Mm -hmm. The way that I use that clinically in my practice is I was taking care of a veteran who was suicidal. He had 
really bad PTSD. One of the things that made his PTSD less bothersome for him was walking the perimeter of his property with a gun because that's what he'd done while he was deployed. Now, in traditional teaching, I'm supposed to take away the weapon, right? I'm supposed to say you can't have any firearms, but just the conversation of let's talk about your gun, can we put it with someone safe, made him feel so unsafe that he couldn't function. And so instead, I talked to him and I said, you know, there's some research that says if you just unload your weapon, that can decrease your risk of suicide. If you unload it and you put your bullet somewhere else, that further decreases your risk. If you put your bullets somewhere where you have to unlock them, that decreases your risk. If someone else has your bullets and you have to ask for them, that decreases your risk. So let's talk about where in that continuum of loaded weapon ready to go in someone who's in crisis, can I still let you have the weapon who, that helps you feel safe, but let's talk about ways that decrease that risk of suicide. And that's really powerful information for me because I can share that with patients and I know that I'm making an impact, but I'm, I'm again, meeting that patient in a place where he is and he's able to hear that and understand that. And interestingly, that the outcome of that conversation was he had some vague suicidal ideation. I was able to discharge him to be following up with mental health but he agreed to let all of the bullets that he had be given to a friend. That's actually so and interesting. And that was a that was a an intervention that worked for him. Wow. That's actually a really interesting story. Can you give me um, an example of research questions that would be helpful for doctors to find answers to? A lot of the research that a firm is looking at right now is trying to identify the shooters before they shoot. And that's important. We see it in the news as our our active shooters, our mass shooters at schools and workplaces. And those people are really important to identify because Many of them are involved in the healthcare system. They've been seen recently before they are completely in crisis. But they are a very small percentage of what we actually see. In the, in the emergency room, we see people in crisis all the time. And mm -hmm. very rarely do they go on to become uh, mass shooters. And trying to figure out what are those, what are those characteristics that should help us know that someone is at risk for that type of violence can be really important. And then disseminating that to all doctors, not just emergency departments. The other type of shooters that make up a much larger percentage are the ones who are suicidal. Again, that's something we see a lot more here uh, in rural communities because the rate of firearm attempts are so much higher than they are in, uh, in urban areas. We need to know of all of those people that we see who is the highest risk? Who do we need to look at for things like extreme risk protection orders and do those work? And how do they impact patient safety? Those are the types of research questions that I'm hoping that we're able to answer 
because those are the ones that I can take to the bedside and make a difference. Do you have any other personal stories you'd be able to share about why this topic really matters? This is the story that I shared um, with, to start the lecture um, with Megan. The, again, a lot of people ask me, you're a physician, you know that guns kill people. How is it that you're able to have guns? And I take this back to when I was growing up and to my dad, actually. He <clears throat> he lived his whole life um, in rural Oregon in various places. And a couple of years ago, my dad is 77 now. He's about five feet, five inches tall, about 140 pounds, not a big man. He was the town dentist for 50 years. And he closed his practice, was in getting the mail at the post office one day, and a former patient of his came up to him in the post office, and this man was mentally ill. My dad had taken a tooth out of him over a decade before, and the guy came up to my dad, started shoving him, and saying, you made me lose all of my teeth, and I'm going to knock you down and stomp on your face so you know what it feels like to lose all of your teeth. Uh, my dad's on Coumadin, so that's not an idle threat. And so my dad quickly left the area. No one in this town where he'd lived for 50 plus years came to his aid and tried to help him or said, hey, get away from him. Um, so he went out to his vehicle, got in the vehicle. The man continued to uh, try to hit the vehicle, pound on the windows. Dad called 911 from his cell phone. And the 911 operator said, we only have one deputy and he's an hour and a half away. Oh my God. So you just need to try to get away from him. So my dad left. The next day he went to the post office again and the man was waiting for him. Dad called 911 again. They gave him the same answer. Said, you're on your own. In urban areas, when help is just around the corner, I, the argument of why do you need guns to protect yourself seems silly because help is very close. But out here, help is sometimes hours away. And when that is someone threatening your life, when that is a wild animal, we talked at the beginning of this phone call beforehand. I live on a farm, and I have five horses. I routinely have coyotes in my pasture. Just down the road, uh, they had a horse that was killed by a mountain lion. Not all of our predators are two-legged. We actually have four-legged ones around here, too. And um, verbal de-escalation and calling the cops doesn't always work. And so, especially in the more rural areas of the country, Guns really are a tool. They are a, a farm implement, just like my tractors, just like my balers, that help keep us safe. And so that's one of the reasons that it's important to me, because if you ask the people in my area to get rid of their guns, and we say that it's for protection and safety, we're really not just being 
crazy separatists out in the middle of nowhere. They really are a tool to us. And figuring out a way to keep people safe and still have access to those tools is really important to me. That actually, that's really, really interesting. Um, last question. What makes you optimistic about how we can change these incidents with guns in America when it's easy to think that the problem is way too far gone? I don't think that it's going to be easy, but I think it's worth it. I look at my children. I have a seven-year-old and a 10-year-old, and to me, fighting for them to have a world where they can still have firearms because I grew up shooting and I enjoy going and doing that and I enjoy sharing that with my children both of my sons shoot having a place where they can still do that and it can be safe and where we can make decisions that are actually based on evidence rather than rhetoric and emotion is really important to me I I don't believe that just because it's hard, it's not worth doing. Um, and when I work with people like Megan, who has such an incredible amount of experience and knowledge and had such a very strong, I won't say bias, but a very strong opinion against guns, but then watch her be willing to actually go to a gun range and fire a gun for the first time. And I got to talk to her that first day that she did that and listen to her say, okay, I can see a little bit of the other side. And that's the most important thing that I hope for. As soon as we can get somebody to say, I see a little bit of that other side, we're getting closer to, to answers. We're getting closer to solutions that will actually help. I don't think that we're going to fix all gun violence. I think that's an, a lofty goal that, just like we can't fix all car crashes, but we can make them safer. We can decrease risk, and we can eliminate a lot of the deaths and a lot of the injuries by working together. All right, thank you so, so much for joining me. You are very welcome.